Barry, hi. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, Richmond, and and thank you so much for having me on the uh, on the podcast. No, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And we were just chatting a little bit before. Um, and and first of all, just to put people in the picture, I don't know if I'm going to put the video up yet or not. But you're you're in the you've definitely won the prize for the most spectacular backdrop so far. Yeah, we're. Um... It'll come out as we chat, no doubt. But uh, but but we we kind of made the life choice last year to uh, to sell a house and just start roaming around. As you might imagine, that coincided with a slight awkwardness of a global pandemic, <laughs> and so it all got started a little later than we planned. But we're kind of on it now, and having had five months back in Wales, which is where we were living before, to get jagged and uh, and catch up with ourselves and catch up with other people, we got on the road and we. Uh, Everyone wants to know how long we're doing it for and where we're going and what our plan is. And, uh, and we, we revel in the fact that there is no plan. And so we, we set out for Scotland. That was, uh, we were back in Wales. We saw some people we knew in Bristol. And then we set out for Scotland and um, we planned a week in the Lake District, which became three weeks, three and a bit weeks in the Lake District because we quite liked it. And then we've drifted up in Scotland. So now I'm in the shadow of Ben Nevis. Um, that might be something for uh, 10 days from now. We'll take a stroll up there. But um, yeah, it's not, not the worst backdrop in the land. Yeah, no, it's, it's superb. It's interesting you say, you know, you people ask, oh, what are your plans? It's because we're, we're sort of used to that, aren't we? What, what are your plans? Yeah. So when you turn around to them and say, well, we don't really have any plans. We, we just sort of yeah. take it as it comes. How, how do people respond to that? Uh, you know, I think people find it. So, so th th there's two responses that either people are really confused by it because they are bound by the conventions. And, and that's not to say I've never been bound by the conventions. You know, I had a proper grown up job and, uh, and, and I guess the other response is that people are encouraged by it or, or they, they're slightly envious. So, you know, there's an element of wanting to live vicariously through the freedom that we've manufactured for ourselves. And so, so I guess those are the two ends of it. But which get a bit blurry because yeah, the people that would love to do it, you know, feel slightly constrained in in making the the, the big step, which is to unpick yourself from a whole bunch of stuff because that's the only way that freedom comes. Yeah, yeah, and, and I and, and I guess to a degree, it, it's partly a realization that the the thing that is most valuable is time, and you know, and you're and you're not going to get another go at this thing um next year it's 50 it'll be 15 years since jojo had a cancer diagnosis went through the op and the chemo and stuff and we don't want to be sitting around in five years time looking back going i wish we'd just packed a little bit more in to that small amount of time that we've been given so so we just we kind of made the decision having created the circumstances that allowed us to do so to to buy as much time for ourselves as possible and and we don't pack it we don't fill it with a timetable of stuff we allow ourselves to um what's that brilliant thing humans being not humans doing and and, and without sounding glib you know it felt really good today to to have slept at a ferry port having got an earlier ferry just because it happened that way we drove 30 miles found ourselves in a, in a tiny harbour overlooking one of four islands that um, produced slate in Scotland, having a bowl of porridge and a cup of tea, watching the world go by. And, and you can manoeuvre that in, you know, and that's really what we've done, I suppose. And, and people react you know, in, in a variety of ways. Many, many people ask, well, well, where's it leading? Where, where's it going to go? And I, and I guess that's the, the bit that we're currently letting serendipity take a hand in. Yeah, I guess that, that there's quite a few people, I know that's a general comment, but quite a few people want, they want certainty in life. So they, they make their plans and think that that's certainty, but of course it isn't really. Nope. Um, whereas I guess you're thriving on, on uncertainty. Yeah. And at the risk of, you know, that's not to say that that your uncertainty is really something I'm massively comfortable with. I would say, you know, I, I spent 30 plus years in the Royal Air Force and, and that's a pretty certain world. Sure, you, you get plucked off and you go and do a variety of things. And every couple of years, someone who has control over your 
what I loosely call a career, um, tells you where you're going to prosecute your business next. So you, you don't have masses of control over that. Um, so, so do I like uncertainty? I, I like to have it in chunks. I'm, the way I'm adapting around it, I guess, Richmond, is to say that, that there's a strategic view of, of the direction of travel. The detail, I'm happy to let that kind of play out a little bit. Um, Jojo's a brilliant completer finisher, so she actually makes plans and does things, which suits me because I'm a quite strategic, quite creative, kind of hands in the air kind of fella. And and so I'm pretty happy to say that at Shaw we're going to spend ten, no, eight days walking the West Highland Way. So there's a there's a bit of a plan. When we come back, we've got three days here. We'll see what happens. I think we'll drive um, further north and go across to Harrison Lewis and spend an unspecified amount of time island hopping. Um, but I'm pretty comfortable with that. And then literally all I've got to do is make sure I turn up on the 28th of November for our granddaughter's christening right. in the right in the right frock and uh, and then everything will be okay. So so in, in I guess in planning terms, I'm okay with big handfuls. And and then we we allow the the day to day to to kind of play out a little bit if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you're kind of landing in a a bit more I don't know normality. I'm not sure I even like that word, but you know with with your granddaughter's day and and being there for for that. Yeah. Maybe even a will it be a suit and tie or, or sort of casual uh, yeah. And a shirt. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I'm not renowned for tie wearing and I wasn't in my air force days uh, and I fortunately got to be grown up enough to uh, to to allow everyone to have dress down days as regularly as I uh, I could apportion them. Um yeah, there won't be a tie involved. Um there may be the top half of a, a very nice tailored suit. When when I left the air force Richmond I uh, I was very generous to my Myself. I gave myself three gifts, uh, which I think is you know, after 30 years of, uh, of, of grinding away was, was pretty reasonable. So I gave myself a beard and, uh, and there's been various iterations of this. I, I often go full WG Grace and, uh, and have the, the monster beard. Uh, so that was a free gift to myself. And, um, and then I had a suit tailored and it's literally the only time that I've had a bespoke thing made and uh david mins brown in tell the van down in bristol and he's got a little notebook and on one side he, he wrote all the things that i said about how i was going to live my life and i expected to be a consultant and working in the defense sector and all that sort of malarkey occasional events or whatever and um and then he did the measurements and that was all lovely and he wrote that on the top of the uh, of the op opposite page and then he he looked at the swatch that I picked, the Laura Piani, um, beautiful Prince of Wales check with a peach kind of uh, accent in there. He said, you have excellent taste in cloth. At which point I knew that it was going to be frighteningly expensive, <laughs> but it was the only time in my life that I was going to have a little pot of money which was dedicated to me. And so I, I looked him straight in the eye as he turned the notebook around and slid it towards me. I said, that'll be great. Thank you, David, without looking at the price. Anyway, the other thing that I treated myself to was a road bike so I could still fit in the suit many years later. <laughs> so far, so good. We're, uh, we're okay. But um, yeah, I don't know why I went down that path. But uh, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of, it's led us to this point now, I suppose. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can you pinpoint a kind of a decision that you made at some point that, that really led you down this, this path? Or is it just lost? Yeah, time? yeah I, I, I guess we can. Um, so, so, so the Feasts and Fables thing, which is up on screen, if it, if it pops up, is really a reflection of two people. So, so Jojo, my wife, and I, she is Mrs. Feasts, I'm Mr. Fables. So the, we're, we're kind of two halves of a coin. And so... When we, um, when I left the Air Force, I thought I was going to just blog about some stuff, go and see some gigs, drink some gin, kick back a little bit. I was probably only 48, so I think that was pretty ambitious. Um, but um, having made that decision, um, I then got sucked into the defence sector. And so um, rather like a piece of silver foil, a magpie in the form of a, a defence contractor came and picked me up and uh, and popped me into his nest um 
and to be honest, I don't think they knew how to use me and I didn't really know how to work in, in that corporate world. So I um, lasted about 10 months and told Jojo that I was going to hand my notice in. And so I was, I was idle. Um, and so to fill that time, I thought I should probably do something. So I trained to run the Edinburgh Marathon. Mm. I, tr I, I wanted to run the London Marathon, didn't get in. Anyone who doesn't get into London gets offered a place in the Edinburgh Marathon. And actually it was great because my grandparents retired to Edinburgh. And so I had very many happy memories of being up there. And, um, and actually my granny had Parkinson's for oh, 15 years or so. So it was a great chance to raise a little bit of cash for <laughs> Parkinson's research. And so actually it, it kind of closed the loop, but it also gave me a bit of purpose for, uh, for four or five months. I ra um, ran the Edinburgh Marathon on the 31st of May, turned 50 the day after. And, um, and then I was idle again, right? So I was kind of um, at this sort of crossroads of, I'm probably going to have to do something, which would be dreadful, but I, m I must do it. And then serendipity jumped in and you'll, you'll hear this thread a little bit. Um, Jojo had been baking cakes and selling them at local rural shows in Wales, you know, so agricultural shows. And as it transpired, a premises came up in the high street of the, of the town that we were living closest to. And so we decided pretty much within, well, from flash to bang, it was six weeks, we opened a deli. Oh and we were probably the world's worst deli owners for <laughs> about four months. Um, and then we kind of realized that we should probably get good at it. Otherwise, we were going to fall on our backsides. So we, we started to handpick amazing products, which allowed me to be a storyteller. So that allowed me to celebrate other people's craft. Um, and that really became probably the start of that mental process of encouragement, which I'd maybe done within the structure of the Air Force. I, I'd mentored individuals, I'd, I'd created the circumstances for people to do good stuff, but I'd never really got up and just celebrated other people's stuff. And so that's really what, um, what the deli became. It, it was a five-year adventure of creating a place that we wanted to hang out stocked full of stuff that we wanted to eat and drink and stories that we wanted to tell and so we absolutely loved that but at around about i'm not i'm not forgetting the question around about the four-year point we suddenly realized that that celebration of people's craft the ability to slow down and talk because it was on a run it was just the two of us yeah we were losing that ability because we'd got good at it and people were coming to us and it became very busy very transactional and you know in the summer i'd be knocking out amazing coffees you know coal town coffee um, down in ammonford an old mining community down in wales fantastic roaster and so proper coffee really mm. produced very well and somebody would come in and they'd go i want four cappuccinos and they'd rush to the back garden because they were transiting from the northwest down to pembrokeshire and they'd be in the secret. I take the first cappuccino out, beautiful, frothy top, lovely, well poured coffee, perfectly timed. They'd follow me back in and go, "Have you forgotten the other three? Okay. Uh, okay, that's that's not the sort of world I want to be in because it wasn't. Of course, it was a business, and it had to make you know a living for for us. But it but it was also you know, it gave us purpose. It was it was a pleasure. It was. Um, it was a place we wanted to be and it and it created an element of community in the town that we were at and it gave us a stage to celebrate other people's craft so to go back to the point and be specific when we realized that we were going to have many more summers of this very transactional not very encouraging kind of environment that wasn't true to the purpose the values that we started out with we said, well, we'll do one more. Uh, we'll give people some advance notice and we'll, get, we'll shut at the end of January the following year, which was January 2020, as luck would have it. Mm. That was a pretty good time to close a high street business yeah. deliberately. So we had a very good Christmas. We had a monstrous January. January is the worst month ever for retail, but we had a brilliant one because we were closing down and people wanted a bit of all the stuff we had we didn't do a closing down sale because we just had the best products and people were desperate to stock up on them before we stopped selling them it was just um and then we um yeah and, and i guess that was the trigger it was it was the change 
the change in values or the or the or the, or the the outward pressure on the values that we want to live by that stopped stopped me wanting to do that it took it took the pleasure and purpose out of it and uh, and just changed the dynamic to a point and, and we were lucky that we could make that decision of course you know we we weren't we'd, we'd loaned the money to ourselves we 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 worked hard to create surplus and then we invested it back in the business so we never had to kind of go to shareholders or banks or whatever and therefore we were fiercely independent we could make the buying choices we wanted and we could make the closing choice when we wanted you know and um it's good to go out on a high you know people yeah. were sad to see us go but it but it, it it then opened up some creative capacity to to find new purpose you know yeah yeah i mean that's that's fascinating the you know that you noticed how outside pressures were trying to force you to change your values you know the the rushed yeah. customers no come on i just yeah. want the coffee i just want rather than you know the whole experience and yeah. the pleasure of it all because you can't and, have and pleasure when you're rushing and, no and it, and it's really interesting that when we first started all we wanted to do was get a load of people through the door we thought that's what we needed mm. and then when i went to the do lectures which we were just talking about uh, before we, we we went live that um there was a there was a brilliant presentation where um uh the presenter said this my, this is my restaurant my restaurant's not for everybody but that's okay and i came back to jojo and i said do you know what that's it you know we 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 literally so simon wright he's a good restaurateur he knows his business so wright's emporium in clanarthy is is a fantastic place to go but to hear him say he doesn't need everybody he just needs the right people that's not to that's not to exclude people it's just to open your mind to the fact that actually what do they say a, a rock band needs a thousand true fans those thousand true fans buy all their gear they tell everyone about it that that's how how success looks it, yeah. it isn't you know a million people it's not this is where influencers get it all wrong you know that you don't need five million people peering in and occasionally clicking like what you need is 100 people absolutely loving your thing yeah. they're the people who book the 10 places at the supper club you run and then the eight of them have already booked for the next one you know and so that what we found was that that um that kind of allowed us to be who we were you know who we were growing into you know i'm a i'm a avid storyteller i want to, i want to talk i want to write i want to celebrate stuff jojo's a brilliant cook you know so she wants to put amazing food on the table and then gather people around that and the hospitality that comes from that it is a slow pace and it's a really interesting point you make richmond that it that it is about slowing down in our newsletter every week i've, I've started you know take the slow road notice more you know it is that it is not minding that we did a 16 mile diversion today to take our porridge to watch two kayakers set off and paddle slowly what better metaphor for slowing down than exploring by kayak you know it's it's something about pacing everything down and and getting much more from it not doing more in that you know that thing, just just slowing it down so um that's where we find ourselves i think yeah mentally that's where that's the journey we were on and we've worked hard so it's not like we can't be busy but we've chosen not to be busy yeah yeah that that seems to be i think you know perhaps you almost need to be you know busy to the point where it's unpleasant and and you know potentially even harmful to your health for you to kind yeah. of realize actually you know i'm not awake anymore i'm not awake here i'm just kind of going yeah. going going and 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 then you know you use the word choose there. You 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 then consciously make that choice to slow down, and and that beautifully fits in with that what you said about the the restaurateur, and and the fact that we don't we don't need to be there for everyone. We're not there for everyone. You can't be. It's unrealistic. And the more you focus on the people yeah. that you want to work with, the better you're going to serve them. And you're going to be well, so you can keep serving them yeah. and serving them and serving them. That, it sounds like that's what you're saying. 
and, and I and I you know so last year once we'd closed the deli and we we found that we were in lockdown um you'll know but up but I'll say anyway we, we produced this thing called the encouragement manifesto which was a was a look at the values that we we probably subconsciously had used to underpin the way that we approach community and um uh, and the way that we built the deli my favorite of them is probably the most obscure it is that notion of the pebble in the pond and it is that that sense that um that that you can um you can create um an encouragement for people by the example of of the way that you're, you're doing things and and people who peer on us would probably say we're not very showy you know that's and that's very deliberate uh, there's a brilliant bobby powers quote i love about um be the person who works in quiet humble isolation and then produces something of worth or words to that effect and it is that sense that um that 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 may be through the realization that we've had and we've been very fortunate that we've not put ourselves in a position through overwork where where we have teetered on the edge of breaking ourselves that's you know so so our realization was um that that we would we would founder on on the the mismatch of values we you know we did not want to drive so hard at the business to make just that little bit more surplus you know just so we could buy a little bit more stock and work a little bit harder selling it you know we wanted to we wanted I go to another value that we talk about in the manifesto, you know, which is value, not price. It is that sense that it, not everyone will come in and buy a 48 pound bottle of gin. So I, I stocked gin Talog. David and Anthony make 30 bottles at a time. They've got rare breed sheep. They card the wool. They pack with that. They use the, the water that they, uh, that they um, card the wool with to cool the still. It's the, botanical it's, it's juniper from uzbekistan it's beautiful it is a single botanical gin it's mm. remarkable it's 48 pounds a throw i know that's not for everyone because you can go and get gordon's gin yeah. for 15 pounds and if and if that's your bag no problems at all but here i've got a lid off my bottle of gin and i want to share that with you have a taste of that and see what you think and when you start to have those conversations which are around the value not the price the the, the price somebody will either pay that money or they won't pay that money and if they don't pay the money that's cool you know yeah. it's it's not a, not a competition it's um it, it and so so i guess our our point was that david and anthony couldn't be everywhere to sell every single one of the batch of 30 bottles they needed advocates and so what we loved was being their pebble in the pond you know the they 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 were crafts Craftsmen. They are craftsmen. They're producing amazing product. By dropping it into our eye line, we were able to ripple that out by selling a hundred bottles over two and a half years. You know, we were able to to send the ripples out, and people are ordering directly from them now. And you know, so it's so 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 I I guess our story is one of um, encouraging people to see other things which they wouldn't normally see you know we, we my curiosity allows me and the space that i've created allows me to go and go and find things and then pop them in people's eye line the choices they then make about whether that's for them that's that's very cool but it is that notion of the pebble in the pond which i've which i i hold pretty dear actually and, and it's the one thing i find hardest to get people to write about with the encouragement manifest i can get them to write about being kind being generous even value, not price, you know, uh, build community, you know, whatever, all those, all those other values, it's quite easy because people, people feel them, they live them, they're, they're all there. Pebble in the pond is just probably my quirky little side bet on, uh, on, on a, on a notion of, of that encouragement network, the ripples that come out, the way that, you know, hearing David Hyatt talk at the do lectures, or somebody else that he's put in front of you makes you question something or, or go and talk to someone else. That person you talk to in a sidebar meeting, you sat on a haystack, you know, talking to somebody around a campfire. Suddenly they're the person that you call because you're curious about something else. And, and 
and and so the journey of encouragement kind of flows from that and i and i guess that's that's where my passion comes from for for seeing how far that can go and and who else i can put in touch with somebody else because yeah. i think they'll spark yeah yeah i mean i've um, been very fortunate to meet you know now meeting you and and getting to know you and 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 just a handful of other people who who do this kind of thing um Mike Pegg, obviously, we, we yes. both know, um, and, and probably some other people as well. Um, but this, this idea, it kind of stems into the helpers high, that kind of thing. The fact that, you know, you, you encouraging someone else is about both of you. You, right. you sharing someone else's story is about yep. both of you. And just there's, you know, when you look at most kind of businesses or setups, you know they'll they'll talk about what they do and and i've i've done this of course i have you know it's kind of the way you're told to do it at some point you've got to talk about what you yeah. do and um and then and then tweet about it write stories about it so people can see and that's your content but but actually uh, you realize quickly that you can do a bit of that but if the majority of it is kind of picking out some really good points and saying well actually this person talks about this really well i love this check check it out yeah. Then, yeah. then there's there's a benefit for at least three parties. Then there's a benefit for that person because you're yes. saying check this out. There's yep. a benefit for you because you're sharing. And yes. I, when I say benefit, I mean in a healthy way. I'm not talking yeah, about no, financial gain. Yeah. I just mean that fulfilment of sharing something. And then the other person who reads it. So so more people benefit. Yeah. From a simple act. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, what we so I was I was really concerned that um, that I was idle. I was, I was just saying today we've just we're we're very close to um, uh, Great Glen charcuterie, uh, venison charcuterie. I mean, literally, uh, Anya and Jan Jakob, our friends, are just um, ten miles down the road, and so we just popped down to to pick up some snacking salamis for our, our adventure on the West Thailand Way. Um, but we were just I was just talking about how I worry that um, that what I'm doing at the moment is, is purposeless, you know, that there isn't there isn't enough meat around it. Um, and so so last year, having created this set of words, this set of values, I, I wanted a, a practical uh, expression of the of the encouragement manifesto. And so. I turned 55 last uh, year past June. And so I thought what I would do would be 55 um, opportunities for mentoring, free mentoring, um, just for people to to get in touch and, and ask for some stuff. And so it, it's what happened. You know, it's probably 60 or 70 people now, which is kind of cool. But exactly as we describe Richmond is that uh, so so I, I look, I'm going to say straight up, I get a buzz out of talking to people hearing their story, listening to them and zapping in with some positivity, some ideas, you know, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's, you're absolutely right. There is a, there is a slightly um, personal element of, of satisfaction, which comes out of it, but you can absolutely hundred percent see that somebody else is getting something out of it. And, and that ranged from, um, writing a social media profile for somebody in 30 words that just said the thing that they couldn't say about themselves. Mm. Uh, I wrote a Christmas story um, for a guy that's written Christmas stories for his family for over 30 years. And, and uh, well, Harry Watson, you've probably been seeing him popping up on, uh, on the Twitter um, and, and he'd got he'd a mental blank. So, so we, we, I saved Christmas. No, I didn't save Christmas, but I, uh, but <laughs> I did that. Equally, um, there's a lovely girl called Becky, whose, whose company is a business called Plot Air, and she was struggling to articulate how she uses data about nature to create art. And so I, I came up with a form of words through conversation with her. So, so those opportunities, I, I, I use those just to describe the spectrum of them, but they, but they ended up giving some character and purpose to the manifesto because otherwise i'm just a windbag you know it's 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 easy to come up with with glib phrases you know i'm, I'm not a copywriter i don't get paid for it but but i like words and so 
that bit's easy. Delivering on it and finding a finding an, an outcome, which, as you quite rightly point out, benefits more people. So I know for a fact that there are people amongst those 70 who've gone out and offered mentoring to other people because suddenly they feel empowered through the ideas that that they have and, and actually quite a lot of time it was about engagement a lot of it was about audiences and how do the how do people communicate and i i have an annoying um trope which i do go on about which is it's an 80 20 rule i was rubbish at maths but i do remember pareto or some other greek fellow did some maths and there's this 80 20 rule I don't know what it is mathematically, but when it comes to social media or engagement with an audience, I always say spend 80% of your time talking about other people, more if you can, 20% talking about yourself. And that way you'll get the balance because that's give, give, give. Yeah. You know, this bit is slightly take, isn't it? But people will forgive you talking about yourself if you've, if you've driven hard at supporting other people in that 80%. And so, uh, so I guess putting some physicality around encouragement in that way free mentoring really happy to do that we we then went and visited jojo's sister in france who was um who was setting up a bed and breakfast and i dug flower beds i dug potato patches so and we've just been talking to anya and jan Jakob, who are really very busy very thriving business but a lot to do um saying well look after we finish the walk we're going to come and stay in your treehouse another story um put us to work is there something yeah. we can do so so you know is is there a is there an economy of encouragement which has got um the necessary conversational bits but also some physicality you know um i think of tom herbert and the long table worth looking up the way that those guys are feeding people in their community who can't feed them or don't have the capacity to feed themselves is is astonishing um and but they've they've just taken over a new building and they need volunteers to go and turn it into the facility for them to create the kitchens create the community spaces put the long table feed people uh, and i and and there are people who go and volunteer in those things and i love that notion that there's a there's physical encouragement and, and it's it's proper graft you know and it's and it's it and it's not for anything it's not for thanks it's not for anything it's just for because your values guide you that way and and i and i suspect you know that's at the heart of, of your notion of encouragement from what i've seen that it's it's how do you um genuinely offer yourself to to the world to to the section of the world that you are able to brush up against yeah to leave them feeling better accepting that that by the nature of things however humble we are we we, we get a warm and fuzzy feeling making things a little bit better and, and I'm, I'm trying not to make it sound trivial you know it's it's i think it's got purpose of its own um type yeah yeah no no i you know, I'm absolutely on the on the same page as you with with that, and but it, it sounds very much like this this thread has always always been there. I'm, I'm intrigued by what you did in the RAF, actually. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about that, so I can kind of make the connection. Yeah, I, so I, I joined up when I was 18. My dad was in the Air Force. Uh, he was he retired as a sergeant, um, and. I went and told him that I was going to take a commission. I was going to become an, an officer. Um, fortunately, they had a very low bar set uh, back in the early 80s. And so I had a few ologies. Um, and I was in the process of making a horse's ass of my A-levels because I was chasing around playing sport and, and other such um, vagaries. And um, unfortunately, they, the, the Air Force said I could join, which was really quite cool. I said to my dad that I was going to take a commission. And um, and he, he looked at me and shook his head. He was a very dour Scotsman with a big Mexican moustache and, and an Elvis quiff, and uh, which didn't actually enamour him <laughs> to many officers, I don't think, in, in his Air Force career. And he said, uh, just don't be an idiot of an officer. And so I, I kind of spent 30 years trying really hard not to be an idiot of an officer uh, and always kind of thinking, I had my dad on my shoulder. Um, and, and maybe... 
you know, the, the downside of joining a hierarchical organization is that you measure yourself in terms of the progress that you make through a rank structure. And, um, and, I, and I did okay. You, know, I, you can't hang around for that long and, and not make some progress. You'd be, you'd be bounced out if you weren't keep, keeping moving forward. And I was kind of lucky that it gave me, so I wasn't, I wasn't the best behaved when I first joined up, and so uh, I, I did okay. I got through my initial training and uh, kept my head down, and then I grew my sideburns long, put a comedy moustache on, let my hair go a little bit, and and did my professional training, which was a logistics training, and um, and I didn't really concentrate very much at all. I was very good at snooker by the end of it. But anyway, I, I, I was given the opportunity to do that course again, um, just to check that it had sunk in. And then I was sent on a punishment posting to Carlisle, you know, which was the death now. And so I spent the early years not doing very well at all. And then fortunately, somebody saw something in me, some, you know, thought that, you know, there was enough sparkle there to, um, that if he made me work really, really hard, I would probably realise that I could do okay. And so um, I would say that um, Peter Henderson, uh, who, who ended up being a very senior officer, probably bumped me along the path. And, and then, yeah, I, was, I, just, I just carried on finding the things I loved and realising that for, for for me to make any success, I had to maneuver myself into things that I enjoyed doing. So I guess I always had that thread. Yeah. Um, so I, I would, st- knowing that there was a two or a three year posting cycle, three years if you're overseas, two years if you're in the UK, at around about the one year point, I would start telling people what job I was going to do next. And I and do it so confidently that more often than not, that's what transpired um so yeah i don't, I don't know it just it, oh. it happened that way and, how, and do so, you, how do you think that works sorry i want to pause there i've got no I, idea i've got no idea to... i think that there's an element of um of influence understanding how to work the people above me maybe i you because know, we're all looking for influence aren't we you were um, and you'd hope to put influence to good use. So, so I, I was a scallywag for sure. But but once I knuckled down, and the more senior I got, what I realised was that that I knew enough, and I was sharp enough to um, to want to create the conditions for people who were very good at what they do to do their very best work. Maybe that's where the encouragement thing came about but what i realized was that the the way that you allow people who are very good at doing what they do to get on and do that is you just take the crap away from them and so i literally realized quite early on that i was an umbrella you know i was i was the bloke who should shield my guys and girls from the nonsense which i was seeing but but they didn't need to kind of have to deal with that so i so i took away that friction and I, and I guess the more grown up I got um I got to run an airbase uh, I, I got to be wow. the deputy commander of of um of Kandahar airbase in Afghanistan working for NATO so so but the same principle applied you know what can I do to to stay out the way and let the guys get on with their thing but sort of run interference on the stuff that would stop them doing their their thing and I guess I kind of, yeah, that's, that's, that's literally it. That's, that's, that's an encouragement to them. If they know that, that they're going to be able to get on with doing what they need to do. And if they're going to get credit for it, which you've got to stand at the front of the class and reward people through recognition of what it is they've done or, or the, or the things which they, that, that you need them to do, you create the conditions. You're being a, base commander it's kind of funny it's like being a mayor of a little town i was i was the base commander in cyprus what a great uh, privilege that was um and and it was a time where um everybody who was in afghanistan was coming back through cyprus for what was called decompression those days between some pretty nasty stuff going on on the front line and them turning up 
and hugging their wife you know so what can we do to so that's you know two or three days they used to have in cyprus to let off steam have their at, first at your at your base it was it was at the uh, army base up the way but they arrived and were lodged with us mm. um but what that meant was that we um we worked very hard to create a load of welfare facilities that would allow them to do that so we had a we already had a go-kart um track so we we got money we we found grants and we we invested in that now of course the the upside is that my own people benefited from that my, my guys are working very hard to mm. keep that whole um connection with afghanistan going so so i just declared very early on that the operation would happen just anyway but i was going to focus on good quality housing for families good quality accommodation for single guys and girls great facilities that allowed them to to relax in their downtime go back to the things that we've been talking about you know not getting to the point where they break themselves because they're working too hard where they've got the ability to kind of um uh relax sufficiently to then come to the party fully keyed up to deliver really so we had really good operational output but the guys had a good time as well. And there's no harm in having a good time. You know, so, so that's, uh, you know, I think that's what, that, that's, that, that's really, that's practical encouragement that I could provide. I went into battle to get the funding to allow all that to happen. They got on with delivering brilliant work. Um, so, so yeah, you kind of, you know, where did it come from? I guess there's a realization that it was probably always there. Um, and, uh, and, and part of me knuckling down was realizing that I was not going to have the positive influence I wanted to have down at the middle ranking levels. That was never going to work. So I needed to get grown up, sufficiently grown up to, to bring influence to bear and to, and to, to turn my experience and my expectations of what working environment people should have into something actual. And, yeah. and so, yeah, maybe that's, yeah, that's interesting to, to go through that in my mind and to, to, to recognize that that was the, the case. So you, you realized at some point that, that you needed to scale, to scale this way of working because there's, there's absolute gold in that. You know, you, your, your yeah. leadership style to me, I'm, look, I'm not an expert in leadership but, at all. But, but what I'm hearing is, is that, that you as a leader, creating the conditions for your people to do things in, in the best possible way, yeah. brought about huge success. But not only did you do that, you also let them take credit for their work, hmm. which might sound blindingly obvious. But in my experience of working with people, doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Um, which means that you had, you know, a huge amount of control or over your ego, or it didn't even really come about because of whatever reasons. And the end result is delivering something really quite incredible. Yeah. And, and do you know, I was, I was saying, um, a few moments before about, um, the, the trouble with an organization of that sort is that you measure yourself based on on how far up the ladder you go so uh, so the the thing that I'm, I'm not one for looking back very much i'm i'm pretty much charging forward most of the time but the thing that i i reflect on is that i had 15 months of of that particular role but my ambition was to move to the next level of course it was i was still quite junior at, at the level of being a base commander but um but an opportunity came up to apply for a job at the next rank and i thought you know i should take that opportunity to apply see what i can learn from it and blow me but i got the job um which was uh, a surprise to me and probably everyone else um and so i became quite grown up and um and they started dishing out the gold braid and, and the like but what that annoyingly did was it stopped me doing the job which i hands down was going to be the best job it was going to be the purest leadership it was going to be um it, it was going to be my opportunity i suppose to to um 
to prosecute my ideas in the most direct way because I then spent two years banging my head against a brick wall working for grown-ups who just didn't get it and uh, and it didn't matter what I did um, I could not wade through the treacle sufficiently to 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 make the transformation that I felt could have been made had there been a little bit more um, support. So I, yeah, I, I just, I, that's, so I, so I regret giving up that pure leadership role, um, but I don't kind of regret it because everything kind of happens for a reason. And so, so those two years that I did at the next level um, brought, brought good personal rewards for me. It gave me the opportunity to, to stop doing that and to, to take this particular path. And I, and I guess, it's it's allowed me this this makes i don't want it to sound really trivial it's allowed me to pursue my interest in mentoring and encouragement and, and growth of individuals um without having to put a business wrap around it so 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 we are we are sufficiently independent 30 years of working for um the queen gives you gives you some immediate reward you know so i have a, an immediate pension um which and, and all we've done when i talk about creating the conditions all we've done is we've taken away the things that would have stopped us living within those means and create so so we you know we sold the house um because we realized we had a really big house that we were rattling around in which was a reflection of a previous life mm. but which was owned largely by a bank and so by taking that away you're then just making an investment decision of of where you're going to stay and and there's plenty of places to stay um i don't want to live in a van but you know there are plenty of places to stay and we've got a small pot of money that that we will buy a very tiny place as and when we we decide to set up a base camp but 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 i yeah i literally all of what happened before produced a situation that allowed me to, um, with Jojo, you know, it, it's, this is not a one person show, you know, at all. Um, but actually we've done podcasts together. It's really awkward because I just talk the whole time. <laughs> so, uh, but um, so, you know, we've, we've made this joint commitment to, to live our best life and for that in itself to be an encouragement for other people to live their best life in whatever shape it is we're not influencers you're cracky we've got a couple of thousand people who, who peer in out of curiosity on on instagram when it's not down um, and we've got you know a couple of thousand people who, who chat on twitter and some people who, who very kindly read a newsletter that we put out so we, we're not we're not big ticket influencers and we, and we would hate to kind of be in that space but what we do have is the ability to from those 2000 people there might well be 20 or 30 people that we can help every now and again there might be 40 or 50 people or, or 100 people or we can put them in touch with somebody else and yeah. and 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 because we've created the capacity to have those thoughts then we can actually make them happen yeah. if if there was a, if there's a price ticket to it that would exclude certain people. If there was, if you had to come to a gathering, and and, and I maximum respect to all the people that organise amazing gatherings and bring people together and do all that stuff. But if you do that, then then there's a price ticket, there's an accommodation thing, there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes with it, and then there's the merch and the mm. and the industry, and then it gets really successful, and you have to bring other people in, and then you have a massive commitment to keep them employed. Yeah we've we've literally created a fierce pile of independence which means that literally if we fall on our backsides it's me and jojo and we'll just pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and get on with with doing something different um and 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 we can be independent of voice so so what i say to people is you know all you're going to get is a whole bunch of enthusiasm and passion this is my experience you know these are my ideas you know it'll be a conversation what you decide to do with that is cool if you if if one conversation is enough that's brilliant if you want more just give me a shout you know if you want me to drop you a note if you want me to summarize it in an email if, if you want notes of the meeting I, you know and, and an agenda i can do it can be whatever it, it it needs to be but it doesn't need to be a thing it doesn't need to have a set of accounts 
you know shoved into somebody it doesn't need to make a profit what we used to call surplus which we would then reinvest in ourselves um or in, in the, the values of the business um so so i yeah I, encouragement plus independence is a pretty powerful um tool to to have at your disposal but but I, I completely put my hand up to say we we had to work to create this you know we but but at, and at the end of the day we're living our life first and foremost and, and and our life happens to be based on some values which we think will could could positively ripple out to other people yeah that, does that make sense i'm sure i've just waffled on for no, quite a long it, time about it, it. it makes an enormous amount of sense and um and i think that that really demonstrates that that ripple effect and and that it's not so quirky actually you know if you think about you know just go that that work you did as the base commander and and all the other work and the ripple effect of that um and and how that you know you're all part of that effect yourself that ripple effect is has led you to where you are now somehow um yes and yeah and every person you said you, you know you you could have 55 million followers, but how on earth can you help them? I mean, yeah, they might read some of your posts and things. Yeah. You can't yeah. really help someone that way. Yeah. You got, you know, a few thousand. No. But you can, but 40 or 50 people, you, you can do that. You can deliver. You know, you can be, to use a, you know, oversubscribed, yeah. if yes. you like. And, and you can influence people and yeah. help them um, in a very real practical embodied way by by being there and digging some holes or just yeah. being there like, even yes. like this is embodied somehow yeah. you know that that notion of so, so we spend way more of our life outdoors now um than possibly we did before and, and we have noticed more people being outdoors, you know, in, in the in the circles, the conversations that we're having. Um, you know, people are kind enough to say that, you know, Jojo wild swimming, you know, that's a pretty, she's a pretty courageous girl. You know, she had uh, a mastectomy um, when she was in her mid thirties. Um, and so it's no small feat to, to, put on a swimming costume and go and jump in water, yeah. you know, far less a swimming pool, you're going out, going out in a wild loch. And so, so, so there are elements of, uh, of, of encouragement, which come through the combination of, of things that we do, um, which happen to be part of our personal journey yeah. for certain, you know, we're, we're always kind of learning. We're about to, to learn what eight days of, of walking the West Highland way does for us. Um, because next year, to, to mark Jojo's 50th birthday and the 15-year anniversary of her diagnosis, we're going to walk around the Welsh, uh, the Wales coastal path in 80 uh, days. So wow. around, around the Wales in 80 days has got a little ring to it. And, yeah. um, and, and we're going to do that, self-supporting, carry our stuff on our back. But again, as, a, as an embodiment of that you know, what, what is possible, you know, I'll be 57, 57 is an age, you know, Jojo will be come up 50. It's just about, you know, creating the space to, to, to do the things which inspire you. And then, and, and if in telling that story that encourages somebody else to, oh, maybe we've had several people wanting to come and join us on the walk, but that's mm. pretty cool. They want to bring their kids. That would be very cool because suddenly you've got young people who you have an opportunity to have a conversation with, you know, to listen to their thing. And I'm, I'm pretty, you know, listening is one of the things I want to do so much more of to, to satisfy the curiosity that comes from learning about what else is going on in people's heads. And, and young people are just bloody amazing. And I, you know, so, so because I don't have a formal opportunity to do that, what, what better opportunity than by, you know, having them peer in on some of the stuff and and yeah we're, we're just a couple of olds who'll be strolling around with a rucksack on our back but if but if it somehow we can find the language which which finds the connection between 
them and parents aren't able to have are they because because no. parents aren't cool <laughs> so but but maybe the bloke in the orange beanie is a bit cooler you know in that circumstance and yeah. so yeah no that's that's awesome i'll have to put you in touch with um with reese jenkins who no, i'm really conscious i'm i'm looking at the uh, the dreadful tick laptop are you running out of battery so I lost there. I missed what you just said there. I think yeah, we had a bit of a connection, a connection down for a yeah. moment. Are you are you about to go out of battery? I'm okay for uh, for probably five or ten minutes. I think. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. The the reception's gone gone, gone a little bit a little bit shaky towards the end there. Um, but I was, I was, I was just saying I need to. I should put you in touch with Reese Jenkins, who um, who was the first person on the podcast, and he just he'd run the uh, the Welsh coast path, so right. he might he might be able to um, point out <laughs> a few things um, that might might be yeah. useful. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, definitely. Thank um, you. Yeah. So, uh, but listen, Barry, it's been there's so many more things. I think we'll have to have a part two. And, and I, I'm going to have to invite Jojo on because otherwise it feels unfair. You've made me feel slightly better about, <laughs> about you know, having you both there and you talking over her or, or doing all the talking. So that, that quelled it a little bit. But I, we, I'm going to have to have her side of the story. If she's oh, you should do. To, you definitely should. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that would be, that'd be awesome. Well, 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 the lovely thing about... Um, about Jojo when we when we put together our website this year which uh, we we sort of held back from but those horrible things where you have to write an, an about you know tell tell me about yourself actually Jojo's is way more exciting than mine because she was um she was in the Royal Air Force Reserve she's been to some pretty cool places and then she worked as the um executive assistant to quite a grown up uh, person in the Ministry of Defence and the uh, and then subsequently the Foreign Office and so she has flown um, in the back seat of a, of a Hawk aircraft and taken the controls. Ooh. I've done that. I've, I was I, I was allowed to fly a helicopter as my sort of farewell gig uh, when I was was the base commander. But and she has actually driven a submarine. So um, so she is honestly you'd you'd want a part two with her hundred yes. percent. And I'll just literally keep her in cups of tea while you chat. So. <laughs> You're going to occasionally just come in and wave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. In and wave. <laughs> Great, strange bloke in the background. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. No, look, it's been fantastic to to hear your side of the story. Um, and um, well, I'm going to keep watching with with interest. And and I love, you know, it goes without saying, I love your newsletter, and it's given me real inspiration. As as has your is your journey. Um, so so thank you for sharing it all. Looking forward to seeing your newsletter coming out. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to be saying that, you know, I'm, I'm using yours as a bit of a template. So, um... <laughs> go, go, go for it. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, so listen, where, where can people find you? Where should they come and look to, uh, to follow your, follow your story? Uh, so, so literally, um, I kind of stole from um, uh, Chris and Rob with Love Project, their idea that we do the storytelling at Instagram. So at Feasts and Fables, there's more than one feast and there's more than one fable. So that's the, it's the food and the, and the storytelling. So Feasts and Fables. And we do the conversations at Twitter um, and, and put the social into social media. It's not sales media, it's social media. And so at Feasts and Fables, again, over on Twitter. And then we, as I say, we put a website together, which is... Um, I kind of really like <laughs> so so it's feastsandfables.co.uk um what's nice about it I, I blog a little bit so there's a there's a little bit more detail about our adventures if people are interested what's really my, my if I'm feeling particularly proud the encouragement manifesto is there and what it is is a is a is a collection of writing by people that we've invited to 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 say their piece about the values that we hold dear uh, and i and i guess it, it's become an archive where where people trust us uh, astonishingly with with stories of great emotion of, of personal um tragedy uh, or whatever but 
but it but their voice comes out and what i love about it is it's the voices that you don't often hear it's uh, it's it would be really easy to commission a load of stuff from all the people that you know have got big followings and and get a chance to say stuff but to find through those ripples the people who don't always get a chance to tell their story it's astonishing how powerful those stories become and so i'm i'm slightly proud that we've got a really lovely collection of um, of stories based around values that we can all hook up to, and uh, and so that's all over on the on the website uh, feastsandfables.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, I'll, I'll put I'll link all those and I'll link that page as well because I I have looked at that and it is absolutely brilliant. And and funny enough, I was thinking only today I can't remember why or, or why it came to mind, but the fact that you know someone who's got millions and millions of followers their stories are not better than someone who has three followers. They're just, exactly. they're just different. And I think we need to move away from this idea that just because someone has a big following or, or has, you know, 100,000 downloads a second on their podcast, it doesn't yeah. mean that it's better than, than some of the small exactly. ones. And we should be listening to, let's call us the more ordinary people who are doing outstanding 100%. things without any great fanfare. Um, we and we need that, to shift it across. Those stories are more relatable generally because you know, there isn't that sort of cloak of celebrity. I'm using the term loosely. They tend to be much more meaningful because because you can realise yourself into that situation. You can imagine that that they're actually talking about a, a circumstance that you would find yourself in and expressing it in the sort of language that that, that ordinary people use. So yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I'm delighted that you've you've given me a chance to put our voice out there so thank you i really appreciate it no you're you're, you're very welcome it's been uh, it's been brilliant and it's always a great sign that you you know you glance up at the clock keeping a mind on on that and your battery and stuff and you think oh where that hour or so has just gone <laughs> boom so Fabulous. superb thank you thanks again and um keep in touch will do thanks cheers <laughs>